This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Equity Minds! I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is you Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I'm very excited for this episode as we continue our ASX week. We've got a returning favorite here at Equity Mates, someone who's joined us a couple of times before. And uh, while his title may change, his keen mind and investing insights hopefully haven't. Uh, we're joined by Anthony Doyle. That's it. We're really excited. Uh, just a reminder, this is part of the ASX Investor Day week here at Equity Mates. The ASX Investor Day is a day designed to provide investors of all levels with practical tools and knowledge to help improve their investment strategy and build their investing confidence. Those in the Equity Mates community would know full well that we've been partnering with the ASX now uh, and the ASX Investor Day in the past bringing uh, this week of content and a great chance to hear from some of the best investors from around the country. We're almost at the end, Ren. Do you want to give us a summary of where we're at? Yeah, so we uh, started the week uh, with Lauren Jackson from Fidelity talking about key megatrends driving global markets. We spoke to Rachel White from Vanguard about the changing face of investing. We spoke to Dania Zarova from Wilson Asset Management, uh, getting some key investment insights from around the world. Anthony Doyle from Firetrail. He's also going to be sharing some key investment insights and some companies that no one, well, that we won't be able to pronounce, yeah. uh, but we'll get to that. <laughs> and then we're closing it out tomorrow with a buy, hold and sell with Adam Dawes from Shore and Partners. A big week, but that's only a taste of what ASX Investor Day has to offer. And if you're in Brisbane, Melbourne or Sydney, you can go and see Anthony and all the other speakers live. Bryce, what are the details? Brisbane kicks off this uh, Saturday, 14th of May. Melbourne is the 21st of May and Sydney is the 28th of May. Head to the ASX website to register your interest and also uh, we'll have a link in the show notes if you're if you're keen to attend. Uh, Ren and I will be there on the Saturday, uh, 28th of May in Sydney if, you've, if you'd love to come and have a chat and meet some of the great experts that we have the privilege of chatting to. But without further ado, it is our pleasure to welcome Anthony to the studio. Anthony, welcome. Gents, thanks for having me. 
So Anthony is head of investment strategy at Firetrail Investments. Fresh job, full of new insights. We're ready to crack in. Excited for this one. So Ren, let's do it. That's it. Now, Anthony, your presentation is all about sustainable investing and um, you ask a pretty controversial question in your presentation and that's what we want to start today's episode with. Does the standard ESG approach make sense? You ask it in your presentation, we're going to ask you to answer it to start this episode. Yeah, sure. So I think to answer that question, why don't we take just one step back and consider why an investor, one of your listeners, might want to invest globally. So we know that investors are going to look to invest in a a global equity portfolio in order to get exposure to companies and themes and businesses that just simply don't exist in Australia, right? So it's why a lot of your listeners will buy an Alphabet or a Google, maybe a Tesla auto manufacturer. You know, we don't we don't um, produce autos in Australia anymore. So there are great benefits from investing globally. There's diversification. There's uh, getting access to currency risk uh, if that's what you want. There's benefits from optimizing your your portfolio from a volatility standpoint. Um, so if uh, Australia the index, which is full of banks and mining companies. If it's going through a tough time, you might get more exposure to quality growth like tech companies or a company like Visa, for example. So there's very, very strong reasons for why you might want to invest globally. Um, There are surveys that show that typically Australians have a very strong home bias, which makes sense. You want to invest in companies and things you know. You want to, if you see Woolworths are doing more trade, um, you want to invest in, in Woolworths and benefit from that. But there's also great benefits from investing in globally that I just articulated. But when you look to invest globally, whether it's via a global equity fund or an ETF or an index fund, um, which typically will charge lower fees, you're investing across 20,000 companies in the global index, the MSCI World Index. And these companies might not necessarily align to your own investment views or values um, that you personally hold. So when you consider the companies that exist in the global equity index, some produce weapons, some of their uh, business models are harmful to the environment, some produce too much carbon emissions um, and, you know, just consider the weird weather that we're having at the moment, consider the bushfires, consider the droughts, you know, we know that um, the climate is changing. And some, uh, you know, don't treat their employees very well. Some don't treat or don't have a good handle on their supply chains and how um, their supply chains, are they harmful to the environment, you know, palm oil producers, for example, or fossil fuel um, extraction. So when you look at the global index, um, uh, which was what we've done at Firechild, we think that 30% of the index are sustainability or ESG laggards. Considering ESG investing, and you asked a great question, which is one that I pose, as you say. That's why I, I borrowed I a great question. That's why I think it's a great question. I think today people want to invest their savings, invest their capital. They don't want to necessarily invest in those types of companies um, that I just highlighted, you know, 30% of the index laggards. They don't want to invest uh, and have their capital being harmful to the environment to people or in a governance, you know, they don't want to invest in corrupt corruption, um, mm. for example, um, in corrupt companies or, or companies that are bribing government officials. So when you consider all of that, it, it makes sense, I think, to to invest globally, to think with sustainable, a sustainable lens, to invest um, with, with ESG in mind. But 
as you, as I said, does it make sense in that you can do that very, very easily via an ETF. You can do it, you can outsource your um, ESG ratings to, to one of the, the rating providers, such as a Sustainalytics or an MSCI. Now, my question is, they're historically backward looking, entirely backward looking. And you tend to find that those companies that score the highest are typically quality growth companies, whether you're looking at an index fund or uh, an ETF or an active ETF. A lot of these funds typically hold the same names because they're rated the highest Mm. on a historical basis. Now, I'll give you an example of a company that's being penalised for a scandal. It was a scandal in 2015, Dieselgate um, from Volkswagen. Um, so a couple of years before you guys started your journey, but I'm sure you remember it, yeah. they were cheating. They were, you know, they were cheating on their emissions on their vehicles um, from 2015. So Volkswagen will still score very, very lowly. Some analysts give them the, the worst score possible on an ESG rating. However, that event in 2015 was the catalyst for Volkswagen to pivot and invest hugely in electric vehicles. And um, the revolution, which was really, I guess, um, started from Tesla and Elon Musk, to the extent that by 2023, uh, Volkswagen will be producing more electric vehicles than Tesla um, on our estimates. Now, with that in mind, think about the huge impact that Volkswagen are having in reducing carbon emissions globally as the largest EV producer, but they're still penalised on a backward-looking ESG score. Mm. So when I say, does it make sense? Most ESG strategies say invest in good companies and don't invest in bad companies. That makes sense. What doesn't make sense is uh, looking backward rather than looking forward, but also starving companies of capital when they urgently need that money to uh, decarbonise their operations or penalise, say, basic materials companies that are extracting valuable minerals that we need for electrification of of the globe or or reaching those net zero targets. Um, So I think that uh, there are many shades of green when it comes to ESG investing. There are are many different uh, ways that you can invest with a sustainable mindset, Um, but historically, most of them are backward looking. You need to actually truly understand what the the vehicle and what the fund manager is trying to achieve when you allocate your capital, whether it's your superannuation, whether it's your savings, in order to meet some of those um, values that you share or have as an individual. So Anthony, you mentioned shades of green there, and in your presentation, you, you talk about the different shades of green in sustainability sustainable investing. So can you talk us through these shades of green and perhaps the the shortcomings with the current approach? Yeah. So as I mentioned, when you're looking globally, there's 20,000 companies. So uh, some sustainable strategies or, or passive vehicles will do negative screening. So you screen out the worst companies on ESG scores. Some will do positive screening. So you screen in the best companies on ESG scores. Some do something called ESG integration, where you integrate it into your investment process. Some will um, have a policy of working with the companies to improve their ESG scores um, from poor poorer to better. Some strategies are called impact investing, where you might give up um, some investment performance to ensure that the company is truly having a strong impact on some of those ESG factors. Uh, So 
many different shades. I've only highlighted five here, um, but the list goes on and on. Uh, it's not just a, a hard and fast rule that you can follow when you're looking at sustainable investing. Um, similar to, say, um, what we describe as value companies or what we describe as growth companies, there are many different ways that you can approach investing with a sustainable lens. But historically, the one thing that aligns all of them is don't invest in bad companies, invest in good companies, and they are typically backward looking, um, especially those uh, ETF funds that are very much rules-based um, by their very nature. They can't be forward looking because they're not doing bottom-up analysis. They're taking analysis from, say, one of the ESG ratings providers. Mm. Uh, in your presentation, I think you really encapsulate some of the troubles with current ESG analysis with your example of copper. So for uh, listeners, can you just explain uh, the, the dilemma of copper? Yeah, it's a dilemma. It's an investor's <laughs> dilemma, a sustainability <laughs> dilemma, because as I said, those companies that score the highest, typically, say, tech companies, um, they don't, their operations tend to be very capital light. Mm. They don't have huge trucks that are filled with diesel emitting carbon dioxide. They aren't, um, you know, digging up the earth for, for minerals that are required, you know, by its very nature, a, a destructive activity. So, what you'll find is ESG funds all skewed towards those companies that tend to be more, more capital uh, light or less, less capital intensive than, say, a basic materials company like a copper miner. So if you want to get exposure to copper, which is rising, the price is rising rapidly at the moment, as a backward-looking ESG investor, it's very hard to do because of the emissions that copper miners put into the atmosphere. The other thing is if ESG and sustainable investors only own good companies, who's left to own the bad companies? And those owners of the bad companies, are they going to ensure that the company is well run, well governed, not destructing the environment, doing everything it can to be carbon neutral or even carbon positive in the future? When you're looking at a basic materials company like a copper miner, copper is vital. We need it in solar panelling. We need it in wind farms. You can't start an EV without copper. You can't store energy without copper. So it's how are we going to extract the copper, give mining companies and copper companies the capital that they require to extract the copper um, for the EV revolution if we're not investing in these companies. Yeah. I think the stat in your presentation was uh, clean energy from solar and wind uses four to six times more copper than fossil fuels. So if we're screening in the solar energy uh, producers but we're screening out the copper miners that seems to not not be logical. Yeah, and uh, again, then you suddenly find there's a supply crunch, the price of copper increases, the margins that the solar manufacturers are operating under start to get squeezed, you know, putting their businesses under pressure as well. You know, you have to look beyond these sort of rules-based investing which many ESG strategies encompass and you have to be more forward-looking, which you can only do by uh, a, a fundamental assessment of what a company is doing and the contribution it is making to um, sustainability and positive change in the world. So, Anthony, um, in your prezzo, you talk about some of the biggest holdings of a number of standard indexes uh, with some ESG funds and you're also the head of investment strategy at Firetrail. So, what, um, what was the finding from this? How does Firetrail approach sustainable investing? And as retail investors, how should we be really thinking about all of this? 
Yeah, so in one guise or another, uh, we've been investing globally for 35 years. Um, so Firetrail spun out of Macquarie uh, about four years ago, um, but the managing director, Patrick Hodgins, he's been investing globally, uh, as I mentioned, for a considerable period of time. Firetrail saw a natural extension of the Australian equity capabilities that we have, um, being a, an alternatives fund, uh, an Australian equity fund called uh, High Conviction, the High Conviction Fund, and the Australian Small Companies Fund, uh, looking to invest globally uh, and providing a solution, as I mentioned, going very back to the first answer, a solution for Australian investors looking to global equity exposure. So the way that Firetrail differs is that we have a forward-looking assessment rather than a backward-looking assessment. What we found from our research was that if you can identify companies that are early on in their positive change journey, uh, you can typically find companies uh, will re-rate on the back of improving sustainability characteristics as they progress up a positive change uh, curve and improve their ESG scores and metrics. So we work closely with company management um, to achieve um, those higher ESG metrics. So um, when we're looking at companies, they typically share sustainable characteristics that we've identified, such as sustainable business models, sustainable earnings, and they're contributing to positive, sustainable positive change. And we categorise these companies according to one or even more of our four positive change themes. And there's a lot of positive changes. Um, <laughs> but the themes are health and well-being, innovation and equality, climate impact and sustainable world. So these companies, they have to have the S3 characteristics. They have to be either a future or current leader contributing to positive change and they have to be contributing to one of those themes. Yeah, right. So, Anthony, uh, you've given us uh, three companies to talk about uh, that fit this idea of the S3 uh, and then fitting one of these sustainable themes. Uh, most fun, A lot of fund managers come and give us companies that we may not have heard about before. You've given us three companies that we're going to struggle to pronounce, so <laughs> you're really stepping up there. But before we get to the three companies, we're just going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss. So Anthony, before the break, I mentioned that uh, you've given us three companies that Firetrail are looking at or have invested in. 
that we're going to talk about today. I've mentioned that they're near impossible to pronounce. Well, two of them are. Luckily, I get to say the first one, which is easy to pronounce. For these three companies, we'd love to understand what the company is, uh, why Firetrail likes it as an investment, and then how it fits into Firetrail's ESG framework that you outlined before, and then finally, any risks or watchouts that we should be aware of. So let's start with the one that's easy to pronounce, Darling Ingredients, trading in New York, ticker DAR. Yeah, so you haven't heard of Darling Ingredients before? I haven't, no. no. Okay. What you're going to get uh, from the, the S3 Global Opportunities Fund is a fund that's very different to an index and very different to other global equity funds because of our unique approach to sustainable investing. You know, How are these companies contributing to positive change within the next five years? If a company tells us they're going to be carbon neutral by 2050, too long. It's too far away. You know, What are you doing uh, by 2027 <laughs> yeah, to yeah. address um, some of the, those thematics that I spoke about earlier. So Darling Ingredients, uh, what a story I have for you. Right. Um, <laughs> did you know in North America, one of the things that is being stolen from restaurants is used cooking oil, vats of used cooking oil. That reminds me of a Simpsons episode where yes, they still... Yes, the retirement, <laughs> the retirement oil, exactly. Yes, yeah, so there's a clip from The Simpsons where Bart and Homer go to steal yeah, yeah, um, yeah. the oil from the cafeteria and it's groundskeeper Willie's um, retirement oil. <laughs> um, well, this is happening in real life. Reflecting the run-up in energy prices, which, again, um, is a result of the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. Um, so obviously we're highly aware of what the oil price has done. Well, um, renewable energy prices have also um, followed a similar path um, skyward, um, and in particular biodiesel. So Darling Ingredients manufactures biodiesel. You don't need to necessarily go out and buy a Tesla. Um, you can run your uh, Ute Bryce, um, your Toyota Hilux <laughs> on, on biodiesel, which is um, synthetically a replacement for traditional diesel um, and a renewable source of energy. Um, so what they do is they take the cooking oil um, and they turn it into biodiesel. Not only do they take cooking oil, but um, they also take offcuts from meat carcasses. Um, so typically... Um, in, in America, 50% of the carcass is used and the other 50% is thrown away. Um, well, Darling uh, are actually uh, using um, the 50% of offcuts in order to manufacture um, renewable sources of fuel. So they have relationships with 140,000 restaurants across America to take the cooking oil or the, the offcuts from, from meat carcasses in order to produce biodiesel. And they've been a, a standout performer over the course of the last three or four years. Um, and again, it's one way that you can invest sustainably without having to necessarily invest in the old fossil fuel producers which are contributing to global warming. You can get exposure to that thematic of rising energy prices via uh, alternative sources of fuel, for example. I'm assuming that they're not the only company in the world that is doing this. So why is this uh, an attractive investment compared to some of its peers and how does that fall in the, the four pillars that you just spoke about? 
So no one in Australia is doing it. Okay. Um, <laughs> Please so say if someone else overseas is doing it. No, of course, of course. Um, but they're, they're uh, definitely the market leader. Right. The reason they are the market leader is because of those relationships that they've established with the plethora of restaurants. So they, they're in the sources um, or they have the biggest source of um, used cooking oil, for example, and also the, the abattoirs. So they have um, in total a 40% share of the collection market in North America. And you guys, you've been to America. You know how much stuff they fry. Yeah. Um, that's, a, that's a lot. Um, but it is a key ingredient. So they've got the key ingredient, um, 40% of it um, locked up. Um, and that's why it's more difficult for, for competitors to obviously erode um, some of the market dominance that they have. In addition, if you're looking at forecasts of biodiesel um, going forward in terms of the growth runway, it's massive. So this is a company that stands to benefit from increasingly, in particular, cars shifting to, to biodiesel. But I noted the other day that um, uh, one of the airlines flew their um, Airbus 380 entirely on um, renewable diesel, really? for wow. example, um, from, from place to place. I can't remember, but you could that's probably... A lot of, that's a lot you know. of fried potato chips. So. <laughs> well, this is something that would otherwise um, have not had any other use. So it's benefiting from that sort of circular eco economy, for example. Now, Anthony, it's a fascinating story. I do want to challenge one thing you said there, that no Australian company is doing it. Uh, there is an Australian company, Ozcoal, a uh, subsidiary of Graincorp, ASX listed, that does this in Australia. Uh, the only reason I know that is because when I worked at Coles, I worked in waste and recycling and they collected our cooking oil and chicken fat oh, from our stores. Oh, there you go. Oh, so, Ren, I'm speaking to go. the converted already. If, if you want you to... Know, uh, I knew that. I wanted to test you. Um, <laughs> Feel yeah. free to pass that on to your Aussie yeah. equity analyst. No, that's good. Um, I'm sure they already know about it. If you want exposure to some of these uh, types of companies, you really do have to look globally. Mm. All right, moving on to the second company. Um, my guess... Uh, well, look, I'm going to have a stab at the dark yeah, of how to have, pronounce have crack, it. I'm going to say... Weisshauser. Oh, you might have said it. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> we've, been, we've been saying Weisshauser. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Bryce, was that is that from Oktoberfest or something? Because uh, you've Finfest done, is coming. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You've done well there. I uh, New York Stock Exchange. The ticker is W Y. Um, that's all I know about it. If you want to enlighten us, <laughs> it would be great, guys. Guys. So what what does the what does the company do? Why is it an attractive investment for Firetrail? And then how does it fall in your ESG framework? So this company is the largest private landowner in North America. Right. Over 120 years old. Isn't Bill Gates yeah, the largest thought, private landowner in North America? How many? Google. How oh, many, if we've so, got uh, Anthony again. <laughs> yeah, thought, okay. So Weyerhaeuser owns 11 million acres. Sorry, four, 14 million <laughs> acres and they lease 11 million acres in uh, Canada. Come on, Ren. <laughs> I thought Have Bill I was got as well. You. Maybe one you know all. what? You know what? He's the largest farmland owner, uh, but he's only got two hundred forty-two thousand acres. Oh, it's uh, nothing. Come nothing. on, come on! I'm talking fourteen million acres <laughs> wow. and a lease on another eleven million. Okay, okay. Car, so one all. Yeah. Okay, nice. <laughs> Good. Few redeem myself. Right, Did you set me up there? We're no. really making this a competition, aren't we? Uh, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, being a private landowner of forests, um, they are obviously involved in lumber and timber. So they're fully integrated. They own the mills, they own the forests, 
Um, and of course, you know, the US housing market, much like the Australian housing market, absolutely ramped over the last couple of years, reflecting low mortgage rates and low interest rates um, and very strong demand for, for new builds, new houses. And timber and lumber um, is totally renewable. Um, so this company plants more, more seeds, plants more trees than it extracts every year. So over 150 million trees um, wow. per year. Uh, and in, vertically integrated, owns, you know, as I said, the mills, the timber itself, the lumber, the trees, and is hugely carbon positive, of course, mm. um, because those trees are sucking in a huge amount of carbon dioxide. So, you know, what a company, what a sustainable company to have. Now, boys, they say money doesn't grow on trees. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can make a lot of money out of trees. Mm. Uh, as I mentioned, um, from lumber, um, and uh, have you followed the lumber price? Yeah, uh, I was about to say, it just um, went crazy. Went was it crazy. late last year? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah um, still at very elevated levels. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, one of the strongest um, commodity price runs that we've seen post-COVID. Um, so they've obviously made money out of, um, of lumber. In terms of why we see this company sitting in our fund uh, aligned with that sustainable world theme um, that I mentioned earlier and delivering on positive change is they're benefiting from, from strong housing demand from the run-up in lumber prices, but there's that there's carbon optionality as carbon markets develop, particularly in the US. Um, so they're, they're lagging behind Europe and Australia in terms of the carbon market. But as the carbon price starts to rise in value, as companies look to offset their carbon emissions, Wirehouser can sell very high quality carbon credits into the market. Mm. Uh, so rather than cut down the trees for lumber, they can select parcels of their huge land holdings to retain for carbon credits. Not only that, but they can lease underneath the trees for carbon storage. So money doesn't grow on trees, but you can make a lot of money out of trees. Uh, yeah. And that's a, so that's a business, sustainable business model, sustainable earnings and contributing to sustainable positive change. Think about those trees sucking out carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah that's fascinating. Mm. What's Bill Gates doing with his land? <laughs> cattle. <laughs> well, don't get me started on cattle. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> All right, so Bryce had a crack at saying, uh, pronouncing that company's name i guess i have to step up to the plate here um antofagasta <laughs> how would you have done it i would have done that it sounds like an italian pasta I know. It, it sounds italian but it's listed over in london the ticket is a n t o uh before you even ask anthony no i haven't heard of this company uh tell us about it chilean copper miner so, you know, going back to that thesis on copper that I spoke about earlier, copper has, is also another commodity. There aren't many. Um, I think the only commodity that hasn't done much is coca, um, chocolate, okay. coca, there chocolate. Um, but uh, a Chilean copper miner um, that really stands out in terms of the, the peer group. You know, Chile is known for, for copper extraction, but this is a company that has fantastic relationships with the villagers and people that live around the mines. They're investing heavily in desalination plants and renewable energy in order to fuel the operations um, of the mines, which can be obviously very energy intensive. Um, so they've got the desalination plants to convert salt water into fresh water, usable water that they can use within the mining operations rather than extracting fresh water. Uh, and the other thing is they've committed to 100% renewable energy uh, use as well within the mines um, within the next five years. 
So again, uh, a Chilean copper miner that stands out from a sustainability standpoint for us, um, according to our sustainability criteria, which might be screened out um, which, uh, from other ESG funds or even uh, a passive vehicle, for example. Again, mm. a company that's done well um, as a result of the, that core product that they sell, copper prices rising. And of course, as I mentioned earlier, we expect the demand for copper to remain um, really strong. Uh, as the world moves towards that ambitious target of net zero 2050. Wow. A good spread of companies there. Uh, mm, use mm. cooking oil and animal offcuts, uh, forestry and logging, and then copper mining. Yeah. Uh, three sectors we don't speak a lot about. Yeah, we yeah. actually get criticised a bit for not speaking about mining enough. So thank you for bringing up our quota. Well, we're, you know, we're, uh, we're a company, we're high conviction um, we're concentrated. Each of these companies that I mentioned earlier, over 200 hours of research has gone in before um, selecting those companies. Um, so concentrated, high conviction and a very low overlap with the index. We're very different yeah, to the yeah, index. Yeah. We're identifying companies that um, other firms or other active managers or passive managers might not necessarily uh, own as well. So, so we're very different in that sense. And uh, again, we've been doing it a long time. Well, Anthony, uh, it's a shame we have we have run out of time. We we do have three final questions that we'll crack into. But uh, just want to remind the audience that if you've loved listening to Anthony today and want to hear more of what he has to say, because uh, there's plenty more to come, make sure you uh, sign up and come and join at the ASX Investor Day. The uh, Brisbane kicks off this weekend for. 14th of May at the Sofitel. Melbourne is on the 21st of May and Sydney is on the 28th of May. Anthony prides himself on uh, delivering presentations with no PowerPoints. Is that true? Uh, I think I've got three slides. The ASX <laughs> made me do it. No, uh, he's got slides this time. But put FinFest in the calendar because he's uh, he's going to wow you there. That's it. That's <laughs> it. So we're, we're yeah. really excited for that. But um, yeah, Anthony, thank you for your time as always. But we've got uh, three questions to finish off with. So Anthony, uh, we we have a standard three questions, uh, but we've asked you them before uh, yep. because you've been on the show a couple of times. So we thought we'd put a bit of a twist on each of them. So bear with us in case this really falls flat. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, the, let's the, do it. The first one we normally ask are best books. Instead, what's the best article or piece of analysis that you've read recently? Ideally, something that uh, we can put a link in the show notes to. Yeah. Um, so I thought about this uh, and going back to my... Um, bond market experience. I was in bond markets for 15 years and they often say, you know, the bond guys, are, uh, and the bond, the bond people uh, are the most bearish, um, always looking for things that go wrong. And the, the equity investors are always looking for things that go right. So I'm going to put my bond hat on for a second. Um, and I thought one in really interesting piece of research that I saw came out from a guy called Larry Summers. Um, if you've heard of him, he was um, very senior in the US Federal Reserve and he was also um, economic advisor um, to, might have been George Bush or, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, he's now a, a professor at Harvard um, and he's very well known in the sort of investment strategy world, which is, uh, you know, my title. Uh, so <laughs> the, uh, the research that he produced um, went back to the 50s on the US economy and uh, was just looking at the likelihood of recession um, within the next 24 months, given a couple of very simple economic variables, which is the unemployment rate and inflation. And, you know, it's such an odd time at the moment. You know, inflation's running over 7%, whilst unemployment is less than 4%. Mm. Um, so statistically speaking, you know, history might not repeat, but uh, he was suggesting that according to this analysis, there's an 80% chance of a US recession in the next uh, 24 months. 
Wow. Uh, pretty high, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, you can hear about inverse yield curves and all the rest of it. Uh, but I thought that was an interesting piece of analysis. Uh, and, yeah, uh, much will depend, of course, upon uh, how the, the US um, raises interest rates yeah, and how yeah. markets react and how households react. Mm. Um, but, yeah, interesting to, to bear in mind. Yeah, yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Bear in mind, pun intended. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I should have said uh, Weyerhaeuser was a growth company as well. Get it? <laughs> yeah. You guys get it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, hey, we'll okay, try to edit that yeah. back in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Anthony, the second question we like to finish these interviews with is what's the best company you've ever seen? Instead, we're going to flip it on its head. What's the worst company you've ever seen? Yeah, so uh, one of my colleagues, James Miller, um, who's in the portfolio management team with myself, uh, he used to short companies um, in in his experience uh, of running portfolios. And I asked him and he said, there's too many bad ones. <laughs> um, like I get the question, but I wanted to pivot a little yeah, bit, yeah, if that's, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought what might be more relevant for, for the listeners is bad products that I think are, are just shocking and yeah, leverage ETFs. I just think they're, they're just a really bad idea. Um, so some of the famous ones over in the US are three-time oil-levered ETFs, yeah. <laughs> inverse ETFs, and, you know, just go against the grain of everything that, that we're about as investors. Um, it's just purely about speculation, and I just think they're weapons of mass capital destruction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, levered ETFs, just a, 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 a crazy idea, um, and I thought that, that might be uh, something that your audience mass, might value. Mass yeah. capital destruction. Yeah, Love I th- that. <laughs> I think if anyone is in, uh, is interested in them, they have to be aware of beta slippage and, um, mm. you know, the different structures of ETFs because what they track over time, they may not closely track depending on how the ETF is built. Well, it's not investing. It's speculating. And mm. it's, it's, you know, you're better off at Anzac Day, heads, and, heads or tails, <laughs> uh, <laughs> playing you, two up. Did you make any money this year? Mate, I've got three kids. I didn't go, <laughs> <laughs> go to the pub. There's six and under. I've got four-year-old twins, Red. Yeah, wow. okay. It, okay. Might be ahead, it might be ahead of you guys, but not far ahead. You'll realise. You, you don't have time to go to the pub. Yeah, 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 fair enough. I was <laughs> camping in my backyard in the tent. <laughs> Make the most of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, uh, Anthony, we generally like to ask, uh, as a final question, advice to your younger self. Uh, but you've just moved jobs. You've just joined Fire Trail. I'm sure plenty of people were in your ear giving you advice as you moved. What was the best piece of advice uh, you heard as you moved jobs and started at Firetrail? Yeah, uh, so I think what's relevant is that I worked with the managing director um, when I first started my career, uh, a fresh-faced uh, 22-year-old at Macquarie before, and I've spoken you know, in other podcasts about my, my journey around the world and the rest of it, but I worked with him for five years um, and uh, yeah, I didn't expect to, to work with him again at Firetrail. But um, since I've joined, uh, you know, I've found the culture has been extremely collaborative. Everyone is invited to investment committee meetings and see the equity research that is produced, you know, that 200 hours that I mentioned earlier. Um, I'm learning a lot. Everyone's very willing um, to share uh, in terms of, you know, the process and the people and, and also um, access to company management and things like that. One thing I found really interesting is that um, at the end of one of the investment committees, so it's essentially going through the stock research, um, there's a blind vote. Um, oh, wow. So there's no anchoring. Oh, wow. Everyone okay. gets a vote. Not, to, not, the portfolio, not just the portfolio management team, but also the other analysts that have participated or heard um, the, the analyst who's responsible for the research. So it's rated on zero to four, four being the best, and it goes around the room and you, you show your number. Um, so interesting way to avoid anchoring bias or you know just the most senior person in the room mm-hmm. giving a score and everyone else anchoring themselves to that, that score. 
That's cool. Um, it's an environment of, of um, teamwork. There's no stars, no alphas, um, you know, males or females. Um, so I'm just really enjoying it. And, you know, the best piece of advice that I've had is, um, you know, I got to know them really well. Um, I've, I've worked with Patrick, the managing director, Patrick Hodgins, um, as I mentioned in my career before. Um, so I knew them pretty well. And, and the most important thing I think was that I was joining a culture, um, one that I, I would uh, enjoy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's um, a pretty good lesson for, for anyone. You know, uh, I know how much you guys enjoy what you do. I think if you enjoy what you do and, you know, what I tell my kids as well, you know, it, it's um, going to be a lot easier for you. Yeah. Um, so it's been a, a great start so far um, and, and one that I, I'm looking to build on. Um, and so hopefully uh, at the ASX uh, Investor Days, um, one that I can share and, and, and talk to people about as well. Absolutely. Well, we're looking forward to seeing how Firetrail grows underneath your uh, investment leadership. If you want more info on what Firetrail do, you can head to firetrail.com. Otherwise, head to asx.com.au to register for the ASX Investor Day. Anthony, thank you so much for your time. Always such a pleasure speaking with you and uh, we look forward to catching up with you at the ASX Investor Day in Sydney and, um, yeah, following your journey over the rest of the year. So thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Equitymates Investing Podcast is a product of Equitymates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equity Mates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.